What is up, everybody? Welcome back to a, another episode of Bitcoin and Markets. Today, we are going to be talking about a wide range of topics. Bitcoin, take that into the Federal Reserve and the dollar, uh, and then hit on what's going on with the FBI's most recent admissions about Wuhan, how that plays into what's going on with China and Belarus and Russia, and then talk about some comments that Zelensky had. We'll probably listen to these comments that he made recently. Uh, so trying to make sense of what is really happening. I, I feel that, you know, that the old saying that there's years where nothing happened and days happen. And then there's days where years happen, something like that. Well, this is the days where a lot is happening right now. I feel like this week has been very, very fast on the geopolitical macro news. And so uh, I'm just going to take you along with me what I have been reading and watching and listening to. So what you're seeing on the screen here is bitcoinandmarkets.com. Check it out. You can sign up for the free weekly newsletter that also comes with emails each time I post. So like um, every time I put out a new podcast or whatever that will be posted over there on bitcoinandmarkets.com. And you can also support the show financially. This is pretty much 100% supported off of listener contributions and memberships, you know, on the, on the website. So I appreciate everyone that supports and yeah, there's different tiers uh, that you can get different perks over there on bitcoinandmarkets.com. Also check out the telegram t.me forward slash Bitcoin and markets. We're hanging out in there all day, posting memes, posting images from the internet, posting stories, uh, going back and forth and uh, sharing links and things. So it's, it's a very good community. And I think people in there enjoy Almost like uh, it's serious, but it is, you know, serious that fits certain type of people's personalities like mine, where uh, I want to have fun, but I'm, I'm very focused on understanding what's going on, not just knowing what's going on, but understanding exactly why these things happen. So uh, check out the telegram t.me forward slash Bitcoin and markets. Okay, let's get into the charts real quick. We have... Bitcoin has rallied here over the last 24 hours. It's up about two and a half percent. It's holding the $23,000 floor uh, pretty well. And it looks like if this continues, if we have another green day tomorrow, I would say that, you know, this kind of little mini sell-off is over. There's so many people out there that continue to FUD uh, the macro situation and risk assets, which Bitcoin is considered a risk asset now, of course. So there's all this FUD going on and um, we'll get into some of the things that lead me to believe that there's a big move coming. Before we do that, let's take a look at some other charts here. The dollar selling off here today, but still on a nice bounce above 104. Oil. Still having trouble making any headway at all. Still stuck at $76 a barrel. If we went back in time, we've been around this level since November. And I sound like a broken record. But guys, if there was real inflation happening, like real money printing, the price of oil would not be at 76 for you know around five months. That just is not... That would not be happening if we really did have this super high money printing going on in the world. So uh, oil does show us that, A, there's no big time money printing going on. 
but also B, that there is very little demand in the world. There's no growth. This thing out of China being reopening and saving the, the globe from recession once again, not going to happen. All right. And finally, let's take a look at stocks. It was green this morning, but it's fighting right now. It's pretty much even for the day, down approximately 0.2%. But once again, you know, these wicks are showing that there's indecision in the market. So many people are talking bearish, but really the market is not following through with these bearish claims. Um, and actually one more chart. Let's take a look at the 10-year. The 10-year did break 4% this morning. Um, this is going against some of my expectations here, but we are still a long way from the top, which was 4.33%. And we'll see how this develops. I don't expect it. I still do not expect the 10-year to rise dramatically, even if they raise rates. Um, let's see, we can throw on here the upper and lower bounds of the Fed funds. Share this to Telegram. Th this chart here, what you're looking at is the 10-year with the Fed funds target range. All right. And you can go back to November. They raised 75 basis points but the 10-year went down. Just because the Fed raises doesn't mean that interest rates are going to follow. I mean, the definition of a pivot is going to be, well, the definition that I've used as a pivot is that they change direction, any type of direction, not just a 180. Okay, a 180 is not the only pivot possible. The Fed has been pivoting. It's kind of a slow motion pivot, and we'll see what happens, but we'll get into another story from Kashkari about this. But yeah, I just wanted to put this chart out there and maybe we'll come back to it a little bit later. Let's talk some more about Bitcoin's price movements. This is a tweet from Dylan LeClaire, and I did share this to Telegram already. He says, quite a chart from Keiko Data. Order book depth in the crypto market. Why is he saying crypto? Order book depth in the Bitcoin market, Dylan. I thought you were a Bitcoiner. Uh, is hitting new lows, hitting even lower levels than we're seeing post FTX collapse. Watch out for illiquidity to both the downside and upside here. So yeah, that means that any sort of big buys or sells are going to wipe out the order book and have a lot of volatility. The price is going to move fairly rapidly in relation to the size of these orders. Uh, so I think this is a very important thing. And I, I posted this on Telegram. I said, hey, you know, this could mean up or down, as Dylan points out, but what do you guys think? What do you guys think? Is this, does it feel like Bitcoin is going to drop to 12,000, the long-awaited 12,000 that we were told it was always going to hit? Is that what it feels like? Or does it feel like we are setting up for a dramatic move higher? I think the latter, okay? I think we're set for a dramatic move higher. Now, the pushback on all this is, oh, the Fed, you know, inflation is showing that the Fed has to keep raising rates. But guys, they've been raising rates for a whole year, and it really hasn't dented the market. I mean, Bitcoin is 40% up on the year. S&P 500 is like 15% up on the year. And that's despite all this raising rates. The S&P 500 is at the same level it was back in May of 2022. Nothing has really happened as the Fed has raised these rates. 
So why would it worry us that the Fed is going to raise rates and crash the market? The Fed does not have the power to raise rates and crash the market. They can raise their rates, but that doesn't really matter. That, at least that's what we have seen up to now. One thing I've been saying recently, if you have, if you're just joining for the first time here on YouTube or on Twitter, one thing I've been saying recently is like we we've gotten to this position where liquidity is actually well. We had uh, several different measures that we showed liquidity and some other things. They have gotten to a place during this Fed rate hiking cycle. Why does anybody believe that the Fed keeps raising that all of a sudden it's going to start working? No, it's the Fed follows the market. That's what they do. It's not going to crash. It's not going to crash the market. They don't have the power. Okay. The power is in the aura, the complexity of the market. This is another thing I've been picking out so much from a lot of different people. And I think we're, we'll talk about this. Well, let's just go to this other chart here. This is from Joe Consorti. He's with the Bitcoin layer. He's constantly coming out with good tweets all day long. Uh, so if you're not following him, I recommend you do that. Uh, he says, if you total the Fed, ECB, and BOJ's net assets, you get a solid proxy of Bitcoin's price movement. The reckless, seemingly perpetual balance sheet expansion from central banks can be hedged with an asset whose issuance schedule is locked for eternity. That's powerful. And let's zoom in on this chart and you can see it does rhyme. You know, there is a high correlation here. But my my thing is, is that the reckless, seemingly perpetual balance sheet expansion from central banks can be hedged? So he's implying that it is the raising of the balance sheet that's causing Bitcoin to go up. But is that the case? We can check this. What I respond is central banks' balance sheets go up in bad times when credit is becoming scarce. You know, why does the Fed's balance sheet go up? Because they're bailing out the banks. You know, they're, they only raise their balance sheet in bad times when there's deflationary pressure is taking over. And then that means that there's a monetary shortage happening. So Fed's balance sheet, the central bank's balance sheets, they go up when there's a monetary shortage. That's counter to what most people think out there. Most people think that the Fed's balance sheet going up is the opposite, is money printing, but it's not. The Fed's balance sheet goes up when there's a monetary shortage. Now, what would be Bitcoin's role here? Why would Bitcoin also go up in those scenarios? Well, when there's a monetary shortage, people start looking for a monetary alternative. And so they find Bitcoin or they, you know, find Bitcoin's um, narrative or they, find, you know, start studying up on it. And they, it makes total sense that more value will accrue to a monetary alternative. And so the way we can test it is we can look at non-monetary commodities. So this is Bitcoin is going up because it's a monetary alternative. Non-monetary commodities should also be going up if the Fed's balance sheet is inflation. If there's more dollars chasing the same amount of goods, all prices should generally trend higher. But what do we see? We see oil prices going down. 
I mean, they hit the peak back in the great financial crisis. And even the peak back in last March, a year ago, wasn't as high as a great financial crisis. And actually, let's just pull that up and zoom out. And we'll go to a monthly chart so it's easier to see. This is U.S. oil crude, WTI. And I'll just draw a couple lines on here. We have a general downward sloping channel. This does not fit the explanation that there is money printing going on, you know? Like if we put the Fed's balance sheet on here, which we can do that, actually. Let's add the Fed's balance sheet. Here we go. So even though there's some people out there that say, you know, oh, there, there's going to be Russia and Bretton Woods 3. Remember Zoltan Pozar? He came out and said, oh, Bretton Woods 3 is going to be an oil-backed currency. That's completely idiotic. Oil is a non-monetary commodity that gets consumed, right? So it's a great thing to check here. You can see the Fed's balance sheet goes up when there's a crisis. At the same time, that oil price is crashing. And again, here, pretty much in 2013 and 14, similar situation. And uh, once again, in early 2020 with the COVID crash, you see as the balance sheet is going up, what does that mean? That means we have a crisis. We're in bad economic times. That's when the balance sheet is going up and oil is going down. It has nothing to do with money printing. You know, like if I told you that this was a money printing line, it wouldn't make any sense. It would be completely backwards. So this is a non-monetary commodity. And we can do the same thing with other things. Aluminum, uh, TradingView doesn't have a long-term aluminum price, but it mirrors a lot with uh, what oil is. You can't do it with gold because that's a monetary-ish commodity. Can't do it with silver, same. Copper, eh, less monetary, but it, it does have that history, right? There is some monetary aspect that might be getting a bid from a monetary shortage. So it's hard to find exactly, I mean, we could do this maybe with uh, agricultural goods, but those have some uh, different, you know, seasonality and, and things like that. So oil, I think, is one of the best proxies here. If oil price is going up when the balance sheet is going up, that must mean that the balance sheet is considered money printing. But that's the opposite of what we see here. We see the balance sheet going higher when oil is crashing. And so that was our check on Joe Consorti here saying that, you know, this is a hedge against debasement when it's not. It's actually uh, showing a flight to a monetary alternative, which is what Bitcoin is. I hope that's clear as mud. Okay, uh, let's go on to the next part here. Since So, so that's a little bit about the Fed. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the dollar here. Should we do the Fed first? Let's do the Fed first. So this is a post out of Zero Hedge this morning. I did share it on Telegram, guys. So um, the headline is Cash Kari says wage growth is too high. Fed can't declare victory or there will be a flood of exuberance. It just already in the title, it's all signaling. It's all worried about you know, what the market is expecting, not what they actually are doing. So how could there be a flood of exuberance if they were actually destroying demand? You know, if they took demand and they just crushed it and then they stopped, 
how could that result in a flood of exuberance? Well, the only way it can do that is if it really wasn't crushing demand, if they really weren't doing what they say they're doing. All right, let's, let's read a little bit of this. Speaking at a question and answer session in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari, who is a voter on the FOMC in 2023, said he has not yet decided if he will back accelerating the central bank's interest rate increases when officials meet later this month amid signs inflation is not cooling as hoped and explained why the Fed will not stop until it has started a recession as follows. Quote, if we declare victory too soon, there will be a flood of exuberance and we will need to do even more work, end quote. Or he continues, quote, I'm open-minded at this point about whether it's 25 or 50 basis points, Kashkari said, but noted that to him it is, quote, much more important than whether it's 25 or 50 is what we signal in what's called the dot plot. Even though Powell explicitly tried to talk down the predictive power of the dot plot after the Fed's catastrophic experience in predicting transitory inflation in 2021. Quote, we're not yet seeing much of a sign of our interest rate increases slowing down the services sector of the economy, and that is concerning to me, he said. Wage growth is at a level that is actually too high to be consistent with our 2% inflation target. So what they're doing isn't working. They're starting to get confused. They don't really care if it's 25 or 50 at this point. They care about the signaling. They think they need to signal better. Something is in the signal that they need to change. They don't think it is 25 or 50. If you read this with this new mindset of them not mattering, them thinking that only they thinking, they, them, whatever, they're thinking that it is only signaling and job owning and expectations. That's what matter. That is their monetary policy. Now you read this and it makes total sense, but how could this make sense if you believed that what the Fed was doing was actually tightening, what the Fed is doing is mechanically destroying the market and destroying demand. You read this and you're like, well, of course it matters 25 or 50. Are you kidding me? If you believe that they mechanically do this, yes, 25 or 50 would matter. But he's admitting here that it doesn't matter. All that matters is the signal. So, uh, uh, that's enough on that. I could rant and rave on that. Here is another story uh, or another Twitter thread from Michael Pettis, and I did share this in Telegram. I'm going to read through this, but I am coming up on a hard stop here in a few minutes. So let's see how much we can get to. So Michael Pettis, he's a great China analyst. He was, a, I think, a professor of economics or something like that in China for many years. He probably still works there, I think like Beijing University or something. So he is tied in. He's an expert of experts, I think, on China. But here you go. I've just read this very interesting blog post on a paper the US on USD primacy that Michael Cow presented at the West Point Symposium earlier this month. My differences with it illustrate what I believe will become a major debate for the US. Cow correctly notes the reasons for global use of USD and dismisses many of the popular recent claims that we are seeing a major shift away from the USD primacy towards, perhaps, a much greater role for the RMB. I agree with much of what he says. I've long argued, for example, that many of these claims are based on a misunderstanding of the balance of payments arithmetic and a failure 
to recognize the various roles demanded by the global economy from its dominant currency. Where we disagree is on whether the global role of the USD is good for the US or bad. Cow says the primacy of USD as global reserve currency is, quote, a pillar that must be defended at all costs to ensure national security and stability of an evolving rules-based order, end quote. I mean, I could say so much about that, but just real quickly, evolving rules-based order, it, it's not evolving, it's dying. The rules-based order is kind of over, but anyway. But while USD primacy does indeed create an exorbitant privilege for certain sectors of the U.S. economy and polity, what is less well understood is that it also creates an exorbitant burden for other sectors. And Americans will have to decide which matters more. And I've been saying that over and over for three years, probably four years. It's, the dollar is an exorbitant burden. It's a net burden on the United States. Once we do, if the dollar does lose global reserve currency status, which I don't think it will in any time in the near future, it's more likely to back itself, you know, be backed by Bitcoin than to lose its reserve currency status, I think. But I lost my train of thought there. Let's keep, let's keep going. The U.S. control of the global payment system, as Cow notes, creates major security and geopolitical benefits for the U.S. It also benefits Wall Street and the global banking system, along with the U.S. and global elites who benefit from highly mobile capital. But there's a reason why. For all the criticism of the exorbitant privilege, other countries have never been able to replicate this privilege. None has been willing to bear the economic costs associated with currency domination. And these costs are significant. Global use of the dollar rests on the willingness and ability of the U.S. to run the huge trade deficits needed to accommodate the excess savings, the result of mercantilist industrial and trade policies of the rest of the world. And these deficits in turn force the U.S. to choose between higher unemployment as a way of absorbing foreign excess savings or more likely higher household and fiscal debt. It's very important here, guys, that it is a huge cost on the United States. And when you think of like geopolitically about the United States, you know, it is so geopolitically dominant as a country. It really is the only country that can support this kind of cost. And the rest of the world benefits from the network effect of the dollar. You know, this is an exorbitant burden on the United States. What happens if we unleash that? Or, you know, we, we cut that chain. A lot of these people like Zoltan Pozar and Luke Groman and others, they think that if we lose this exorbitant privilege, the U.S. is done for because the U.S. is this giant bubble that has been held up by this exorbitant privilege. But in reality, it has borne the costs of the dollar. It has been held down in certain respects. No, not the financial system not other assets like the financial assets, but the manufacturing, the culture, our society in general has been held down and distorted by this cost that we have had to bear. It would be a great thing if the U.S. lost the global reserve currency status. 
we would become the manufacturing power of the world again. All right, um, let's continue on with this. These deficits are also associated with the declining U.S. share of global manufacturing as manufacturing share has shifted from persistent deficit economies, the U.S., U.K., Canada, to persistent surplus economies, China, Germany, Japan, and Taiwan. While USD primacy clearly benefits the defense and foreign affairs establishments, Wall Street, and the global financial elite, in other words, it comes at the expense of American workers, producers, farmers, middle-class households, and the U.S. manufacturing sector. And I'll, let, I'll tell you this, the people on Wall Street don't have to be Americans. They could be foreigners. The global financial elite in that name, global, that means it's the financial elite. The financial elite from all over the world can benefit from U.S. dollar denominated assets going higher, you know, the U.S. market, uh, financial market going up. Defense and foreign affairs establishments, that's a little bit different, but, you know, this is not just the, the people that are benefiting are not a American sector. The actual sectors that are losing are the American sectors, the workers, producers, farmers, middle-class households, and manufacturing. Those are the ones that are losing, and those are the real Americans, real quote-unquote Americans. So anyway, that is why the debate about USD primacy should be uh, not be held in China, Saudi Arabia, or Russia, countries unwilling anyway to pay the cost of abandoning the USD, but rather in the US, where the benefits of USD primacy come at enormous economic cost. Very good thread here, and I agree with him 100%. I think there's going to be some sort of, you know, come to Jesus moment in the U.S. where whether it's a Plaza Accord or whether it's a new Bretton Woods, but there's going to be some new thing where I think the U.S. dollar will be rebacked by a commodity. And then it will be a race between gold and Bitcoin, I think. So, all right, what else do we have here? We have... The FBI coming out, director of FBI. I mean, these are corrupt, deep state people. But now the FBI is actually coming out and confirming what we all knew and what got a lot of people banned and canceled. People's livelihoods were ruined for making claims like Director Ray is making right here. But he says, the FBI has for quite some time now assessed the origins of the pandemic are most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan. I will just make the observation that the Chinese government has been doing its best to try to thwart and obfuscate the work here, the work that we're doing, the work that our U.S. government and close foreign partners are doing. And I, of course, they're just throwing jabs at uh, the Chinese government more and more, but this is very interesting. Now, why is this? Well, China is signing agreements with Russia and with Belarus. And so this is the U.S. establishment throwing something out there that is honestly not a lie, right? This is the truth. That is, that's a funny uh, spin on this. Um, but anyways, let's see what else is going on here in uh, war in Russia. So this kind of ties everything together. It ties, this video ties together um, Russia, China, Belarus, Ukraine, West, NATO, all of this stuff all together in one Nice little package, and I want you guys to listen to this and react. Here we go. Let's make sure it is up. The U.S. will have to send their sons and daughters exactly the same way as we are sending their sons and daughters to war, and they will have to fight. 
because it's uh, nature that we're talking about and they will be dying god forbid because it's a horrible thing how long is it till we stop supporting the ukraine regime we stop pushing in that direction it does look like there is a lot of movement happening like i said that where there's years where nothing happens and days where years happen and i think that we're in that position right now so just be careful make sure you guys are taking care of yourself your family and hopefully we can get through the next uh, couple weeks here intact the bitcoin price will move up not down and all of that so guys thanks for joining me my name is ansel lindner check out bitcoinandmarkets.com to stay abreast of all of the stuff that i'm putting out and check out the telegram t.me forward slash bitcoin and markets i appreciate everybody that supports the show over on bitcoinandmarkets.com that is what makes this show possible so thanks guys and i'll see you on the next one bye